Welcome to the Radical Brilliance Podcast with Arjuna Arda and brilliant guests from around the world who are contributing to the evolution of humanity. Today's guest is Justin Riley, who's going to talk to us about fusion dance. So here's your host, Arjuna Arda. Our guest today on the Radical Brilliance podcast is Justin Riley, who is one of the founders, the original founders of Fusion Dance, which is a, an increasingly popular dance, partner dance form. He's also a very good friend of mine and my dance teacher. Almost two years ago, in March of 2018, I decided I would learn to dance. And I, I had never learned partner dancing in my life. I, you know, I, I used to go to, to dances and just dance on my own. You know, like They have ecstatic dance and they have uh, five rhythms dance. I used to go and do that, but I never learned how to actually interact with another person. So I went and took lessons uh, with Justin and with others. I've done several weekend courses with him now. As you're going to hear in this podcast, dance is an incredible metaphor for life. When two people are dancing together, there is a lead and a follow. And it's not as just as simple as the lead kind of telling the follow what to do. The lead is really opening a space, creating a, a crucible, an environment where the follow can fully express themselves. So there's an incredible skill to both leading and following. In, in a sense, it comes to the point where everybody's following because everybody's following energy, following the music. So when you learn partner dancing in a deeper way, you're not just learning dancing, you're learning about how you operate in life, about how you invite people to fully express themselves, how you can become receptive and follow, follow someone else's guidance. Everything about our interactions with people in general is mirrored and demonstrated in dance. So please enjoy this podcast with one of the founders and innovators of Fusion Dance. Hey, Justin. Hey, Regina. How are you doing? Good, good, good. You know, I wanted to kick off our talk today with, a, with a kind of something that confuses me that I think you might know the answer to. That okay. I, I've, uh, you know, I'm basically, I wrote this book, Radical Brilliance. You know, I'm something of an authority on originality and I work with CEOs and, uh, and, uh, train coaches, you know, and I, I, I'm, I would say I have a certain track record in personal development and changing states. And in the last year, the, the, without doubt, what has most turned me around and thrown me into new uncharted territories and been the most powerful catalyst of transformation has been stuff I've done with you. And you're a dance teacher, you know. So let's just unpack that for a minute as to what is it about a guy like me at 61 years old learning to dance that actually reached, you know, there used to be this cleaning agent in, uh, 
in England when I grew up called a Brillo pad. And it, and it <laughs> says still it, around. You know, it said it reaches spots that other cleaners cannot reach. You know, so what is it about dance, and particularly the way that you've been teaching me dance, that has reached spots that other methods of transformation cannot reach? I mean, it's um, yeah, it's hard to say because I don't know what other cleaning devices you've tried in the past. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> um, but you know, like I definitely, um, you know, I teach dance full time, and I and I have. And I've been teaching dance for almost 18 years now. Yeah. And, you know, just like, I don't think it's unique to you and your body and your life that, like, dance is, at least, I mean, I think historically it's always been a tool that us as humans have, like, used to, like, like to heal, to worship, to move through, to learn, to grow. But I think, like, particularly in the culture that, like, I'm from, like, a more, mostly, like, Euro-American um, uh, background, you know, you know, born in the eighties is, um, and all of the bodies I work with every year, like the thousands I work with every, every year, it's just moves us through to things to where like we, other things that are more overt, like a coach, right? Just like can't necessarily touch because it's all, we're all working on something ourselves through dance. It's not personal. Like, yeah. Well, that's what I noticed, you know, is when you, when you do work with a coach or even a therapist or a teacher or anything, it's kind of within, it's, it's within things you can understand. So maybe you want to work on being more productive or more accountable or not being late or making more money or something. And it's, it's overt. With dance, it's like you think you're working on dance and you actually end up, you end up addressing really deep fundamental issues about how you experience life but it's all very subtle and indirect right like if i come up to you arjuna and i'm like arjuna as your coach or teacher like you talk a lot i need to listen more you're gonna be like oh but this is one of my strengths this is about me this is about me but as a dance instructor if i come to you and i say arjuna um just like stop and listen to the music Hmm. right Hmm. you don't have to do anything right now like, the value is in how the music moves you, not what you do to the music. Like, I'm not telling... I'm, we're working on dance, right? And so you don't think, no, I'm not. You think, oh, like, the thing at hand. And then you get to, like, have, like, a back door to, like, the probably the thing that you and I, both of a similar archetype, have been working on our entire lives, which is becoming better, more present listeners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like as myself, like I get to actualize my project of being a better listener every day on the dance floor and I get to wrestle with it, but it doesn't, it's not about me, even though it, like I get all of the fruits of that work that like happen on every single other minute of my life. I think when I, when I started, when I first started dancing, I actually started out going to ecstatic dance. I enjoyed that a lot. And then I noticed that there were people at ecstatic dance who weren't dancing alone they were dancing with other people in a way that really looked amazing, like, wow. So I went to Fusion and I started, but I was really all about learning to dance. There was a moment with you in, uh, at this, it was a Convergence Festival, dance festival. Mm-hmm. I went, I went to, you know, I was the, definitely probably one of the oldest people there. There were a handful of people in their 60s like me. Most people were in, you know, 20s or 30, you know. Anyway, so I went to this festival and I, and I did a workshop with you and there was this, this moment, there's one moment when, I, when a whole world opened up and you were teaching dance, you know, and you, you were showing a, a, a way of inviting as a, as a leader 
and you showed putting your hand on your partner's back just with that part of the hand, just this kind of where, where it meets the wrist touching without the whole hand there so that your partner could equally move in on that invitation or move out. So you're giving them free invitation to move in or out. And then if they move in, you have this little phrase, so glad I asked, you know. And that was, so that was a little thing supposedly you were showing about dance. You put your hand like this, your partner can move in and out. If they move in, you can say, so glad I asked. And what unraveled for me is like, wow, that was theoretically, that was, that was a front. <laughs> it was a front, you know. <laughs> uh, it appeared to be about dance, but actually you could just take that and apply it to the way you live life. And in fact, then, we sat down and had coffee. Then I got, was so interested in what you were teaching. I, inv I invited you. So do you want to have coffee? You spent for like three hours talking. And then you told me that you've been doing these dance events, recess dance events, where you only put out, you only actually publicize the event two weeks before it's going to start, right? And you don't even actually advertise it. You just actually make it available because you want to create a context where people can show up if they want to, but you don't want to pressure them. So it's, it was really... What I saw on the dance floor with this movement of the hand, with the, this place where the, 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 the palm meets the wrist, that movement was mirrored the next day in the way you talked about the way you were running your business. So, and, and I've seen this again and again and again you know, in, in, uh, in learning, is that what, what you learn on the dance floor, you learn about the way you live life. Yeah, I mean, it's like what I teach and what we're talking about is like partner dancing. Mm. It's like not a thing that we're doing on our own. Um, you know, if I were to teach someone how to solo dance, like the skills would be very, very different. Um, as like on the dance floor, like when we're dancing with someone else, it's like the skills to be in good, healthy partnership and relationship are exactly the same wow. of that over yeah. like a conversation over coffee or like a 10 year partnership or yeah. a marriage. Yeah. It's like, there's nothing that I know of that's not a hundred percent analogous. Like what works in a marriage works on the dance floor what doesn't work over coffee and doesn't feel good with a friend yeah. doesn't work on the dance floor and so like with that example specifically like you know just like like i like to say like as a lead like we're not telling our partner what to do instead we're like creating a space that's an invitation for our partner to dance in that space how they want um and then we can ask for direction so let's give direction you say, say that again you're not you're not um we're not dancing our partner we're right. telling them what to do. Yeah. Instead, we're creating a space in dance or in a conversation, a question like, how was dinner last night? Yeah. We're creating a framework for you to actually answer however you wanted. Yeah. I don't say, Arjuna, like, tell me how much you liked my mother's conversation, particularly around when she talked about teaching for 20 years. And you know, that's still an invitation. It's specific. But, you know, I wouldn't say, Arjuna, say that you like my mother. Like, I wouldn't say that. It wouldn't feel good. It wouldn't feel like a conversation. It would feel like my thing. Right. Um, to where it feels good is I'm like, I ask a question. I'm like, how was dinner last night with my mom? Right. And then you get to, and then I ask new questions. We go in different directions and our conversation becomes emergent, becomes something very different than what I want you to say. It becomes like what our conversation together becomes, which might be talking about like, you know, Donald Trump and, you know, his like latest Twitter fiasco. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's the same thing in dance. It's like the minute that I want to do something to you is the minute that it becomes very uninteresting. Yeah. I noticed for so just analogous to this is, uh, we just had some lunch together and, uh, I noticed that you, when we were sitting with Shamily 
and uh, you you asked an incredibly open question, which is which is a bit like this open hand. You said, "So, um, you know, what's rocking your boat these days, or what are you passionate about?" Which which gives her the space to go anywhere. It's 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 a it's a, it's. I'm just looking to see because I I just realised that. There's so much to unpack in the way that dance becomes symbolic. Like I'll give you another example for me is I, I just came up to Arcata with you to do uh, uh, a weekend. And early, I, I, I have an instinct with dance to always lead. You know, I always mm. want to lead. And, and, uh, and you, you, earlier on, you said you made a suggestion. You said for the next two years, whenever you have the opportunity, be a follower, like let somebody lead you. And I felt like, oh, I don't really enjoy it, blah, blah, blah. but, you know, I did. And what happened that weekend as I kept going, you know, when we had to change partners, I would say, oh, would you mind leading? And sometimes people really didn't want to, but mostly I'd get people to lead. And during the weekend, I f went through layers and layers and layers of discovering more and more about why I'm so uncomfortable following, yeah. right? And it came to the point where... Well, there was an interesting thing where I was dancing with a younger man, which is already a kind of weird thing for me to do from my generation because I didn't grow up when two men danced right. together, you know. Uh, I, I mean, I grew up in a kind of very homophobic society, went to a boarding school in England. So I was dancing with a younger man and I found it difficult to follow. And in finding it difficult to follow, immediately my head was was full of thoughts about he was incompetent at leading right and because he was incompetent at leading therefore i had to take over and and i was completely convinced of all this being true until i realized that's the story of my life you know mm. and and then i also you know when i was when i did get to dance with somebody where i where my mind could say okay they're actually pretty good at leading then i would face this kind of yeah terror of this, 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 this distrust of actually just relaxing and being danced. And there's, you know, there's just, that's, in one way, that was about what I discovered about dancing in Arcada. But it was equally something that I discovered irrefutably about my life. I could argue my way out of it in lots of other areas of my life. I couldn't argue my way out of the fact that I was feeling all this fear on, on a dance floor. Right. I mean, I was, with that piece of advice, I was just giving you that as a short path, like, yeah, yeah. because there were 20-something people in class, I, like, uh, I couldn't give you, I was like, oh, but you will learn, you will realize all of the things that are difficult for you through following, where as a lead, um, you know, as a lead, your focus is quite often very different, although all of the skills that we learn as a follow, or as a listener, or as someone that's, like, response, like, those are all advanced skills in relationship, um, you know, the actual, like, you know, the, the speaking part actually is quite easy for people mm. quite often mm. for the leading. Mm. Um, but then, like, how to be a speaker that's responsive in a way that feels really good, that's, like, intuitive to the moment and the needs of, like, that person in that moment, the way that they are, like, that's what we, like, have a lifetimes of training of how to be in good relationship. And, like, that's the, that, that's the magic of relationship. It's not that you can say a thing well. Is that the thing that you said well was like the perfect thing to be said at the moment because of what was needed. Yeah. Which, and that's a following role. That's a listening role. That's an intuitive role. That's not like a more, like, that's not a leader role. That's not a speaker role. Even though speaking is what we attribute to it because we see the speaker as the one with value. The speaking is a value. But what was a value is that was the right thing to say. 
Mm. Right? Because you could say something well and it could be the absolute worst thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not the speaking, it's actually that we are well respond we are responding well. If you're enjoying this podcast with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might also enjoy our eight-week online group coaching program. It's an opportunity to go deep and get stable in practices that enhance your own brilliance. We only take 20 participants at a time, so in a small and intimate group, you can go through the whole Radical Brilliance cycle. You'll have an accountability partner in another brilliant aspirant from somewhere around the world. The eight-week coaching program involves eight one-hour webinars with Arjuna Arda and a group of other Radical Brilliance coaches. You'll also receive one 30-minute coaching session with your own personal coach every week and one 90-minute coaching session with Arjuna himself. It's the ideal opportunity to drop deep into yourself, into the source of your own creativity, and to get support for an entire eight weeks of mining your own radical brilliance and bringing it forth into a project or creation that can truly serve the future of humanity. Find out more at RadicalBrilliance.com and click on the Programs tab. Yeah, I remember one of the things that you did in Arcada, which I just, some of these little things, they just stick in my mind. And then once I kind of learn it on the dance floor, I learn it in life. So there's one little thing you did where you were showing this, this way of dancing, where as a leader, you, you just make a gesture with your hand. You just make a kind of an inviting gesture. And then you, but you're actually giving a commentary on the gesture. So you make a little gesture and the commentary was, would you like to dance over here? And then, would you like to dance over here? Would you like to dance over here? So you were, and, but you made it kind of comical because you would just go, how about over here? Would you like to dance here? And, the, and then the follower was just stepping into the space you'd invited them into and would actually then dance in that space until you invited somewhere else. So I, as I watched that, little lights went off and little circuits got completed in my brain. So I found when I got home to Chamonix, I was in a different context, kind of saying, would you like to dance over here? Would you like to dance over here? How about over here? And of course, she was stepping into those spaces and dancing beautifully. But it was done in our, you know, in our being in the kitchen or even in our making love. You know, would you like to dance over here? Would you like to dance over here? So that was that was where I saw what you were saying that, you know, that, that seemingly leading can actually be seemingly leading is also a form of following because you're you're being extremely sensitive to the to the self-expression of the of, of the person you're inviting. Yeah. I mean all those fundamentals where, you know, the technical term is using like body shaping mm-hmm. or an invitation of the space that our body shape creates. Um, that's like very obvious where we're inviting the partner into. There but you don't even have to think about it. It's just physics. It's like it there's only one place to go, so you go there. You can pick anyone else up at the bar to dance with. It's never taken a dance class and it's just how our bodies work together. Um, and in that, it's like, it brings like a beautiful way where like, we're both able to be our like full selves in our own creativity and what we want and be together at the same time. Um, whether it's like in the kitchen, cooking a meal or otherwise. 
Or at the same time, like we also utilize like tension and tone and extension compression for like more direct things where if I did want you to do exactly what I wanted, like aren't you going to take out the potatoes? They're burning, right? I could do that physically with our bodies and you're not going to take your time to that space because I use a different type of tone, physical tone or verbal tone in, in, the, um, in the kitchen example. But yeah, it's, um, like, that's why I love teaching dance so much and honestly has like, kept me in it is that partner dancing is so analogous. And every lesson that I've learned from my teachers over all the years, I think you know, I've had similar realizations over the last 18 years as you're describing on the workshops in Arcata a couple weekends ago with me, is that you're like, oh my gosh, this is like the thing I'm working on in my like relationship right now, or with my partner, or like with my, this is like what's hard with my mother. And we're like all diving in and just like, drawing the connections and taking the lessons not just on the dance floor but also elsewhere but in a way that for me you know like every like I get to dance 60 hours a week when I'm on tour Mm -hmm. right and teaching and you know I would never spend 60 maybe I spend 20 minutes a week working on my like big projects and myself um Mm -hmm. in my daily life more overtly but on the dance floor I get to work on that like you know 20 of the 60 hours 30 of the 60 hours Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. It's just a way that I get to like be more safe and have it be less personal about like the things that actually really do matter. And you know, I, like I said earlier too, is like I can also we all have different projects um, and the things we're really good at when we're, when we're like as humans or dancing. I can meet you and I know exactly how you're gonna dance. <laughs> I, I yeah, I can I can meet you and just from your personality, I know it's gonna be really easy for you. I know it's gonna be really hard. Mm-hmm. I know what are going to be your your projects that you'll eventually get, but there'll be years down the line. Mm-hmm. I know where you're going to like gain value because you know it's the hard things. I know where you're going to feel strong um, because they're just they're not just mere lessons; they're actually mirrors of ourselves. Like we are on the dance floor with other people, exactly how we are when we like meet somebody. I right, got the bar. Let's talk a little bit about your background now. Um, the, the the form of dance that you are now most associated with is called fusion, right? Mm-hmm. And as I understand it, when, when did fusion really begin? When was the first word first used in association with dance? I mean, the fusion scene started maybe like 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we were all a bunch of Lindy Hoppers. I was a Lindy Hop instructor at the time. Um, like maybe like 2002, 2003. And then we just were throwing house parties. And the house parties, just like a house party, even though you might dance all night, um, with all of your friends to like Lindy Hop and big band jazz music at a house party anything goes Michael Jackson David Buble it's like all the things were being played and we were all partner dancers so we danced together and you know that's not like a new thing like all cultures and people like have party music and they use all the ways that they know how to move together in that space that's less formal like the ballroom but um, for us it was a big deal because we hadn't had that yet and then after a couple of years, we started calling it blues, even though it blues was a very small amount of the um, music that was being played, and we hadn't actually looked that deeply into like the history of like blues vernacular partner dancing, which is like an African American like art form that's come out over the last like 150 years and even more. Um, but we called it that, and then eventually like blues started like becoming something else out of the movement um, and became more codified based off of history and like a tradition of movement and then fusion was still the space that our community had where where was um, this community um you know i was between at the time between denver and portland 
Oregon. So would you say fusion was born in either one of those places? Um, you know, it's really hard to say. I feel like like history is really just a collection of stories. Mm-hmm. And the minute that I tell a history, it's really just my story that's being codified as the history. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my story of it was that, you know, the major scenes where it was happening the most that had the people that were pushing for it the most were like Denver, Portland, um, Seattle and San Francisco. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, there were other adjacent communities and people that moved. Like, I was traveling at the time, so there were people that were moving between them that were bringing it to other places. Um, and everyone, you know, I'm sure there's someone from like Tulsa, Oklahoma that's like, fusion started in my living room. <laughs> and that, like, is very true for those people. <laughs> and we all have lots of collections of stories that make up history. Right. Um, how, what, how would you define it? I mean, there's, you know, we, there's, there's lots of. You, you can go to many different dance classes in a city, and, and one of the dance classes you could go to is fusion. If somebody said, well, what's fusion? How would you answer that? Oh my gosh, it's like the question that everyone asks and no one knows the answer to. Um, but really, the, you know, what's really powerful for it is that it is something that isn't defined so rigidly. Mm-hmm. And it's what gives us, even though like, I can go and dance blues and with an aesthetic that is very decided upon, by the larger community right now, when I can like work on aesthetic, work on movement, look at different styles of blues and how my movement matches what is like being said is the correct or incorrect way to be done. And then I can also go to a fusion space where like, for me, my definition is it's a, which under this, it's like there's fusion as aesthetic, there's fusion as movement, and then there's fusion, uh, fusion as philosophy. Um, and so, the fusion as philosophy is more my definite where I f- see it, it as happening, where I'm watching what is happening in the community. And fusion is a space where things of value isn't like an aesthetic, but rather, or like a music. It's more that, oh, like that's new. That makes me want to dance. That's awesome. That's great. That feels really good. That doesn't feel so good. That's like music isn't as making me want to move as much. It's a place that like a fusion space is one of like yes and value of creativity and newness um, and innovation as opposed to like historical accuracy, um, specific aesthetic and specific music. Mm. And you know, other people are fusion in terms of like the fusing of like tango and blues or tango and salsa. And you combine the two, two different dance forms and they meet together in the middle, the fusing of, um, which is more like fusion as, um, as movement, you combine like tango movements with salsa movements and you have fusion. And then the third category of how people like to define it is um, fusion as aesthetic, which would be so it might be, this is like a micro hip hop aesthetic and they term it as an aesthetic, they teach a class on it, they use like glitch hop and they say like glitch, like a music that's defined as um, having the aesthetic of failure. How do we have aesthetic, the aesthetic of failure in our movement with these sharp movements brought from hip-hop, you can create your own aesthetic within an instructor in a context, and it is fusion. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that there were three main, even just like categories of how you can define it, I think exemplifies that fusion is quite often one that is um, quite open in a space where like innovation in our community is happening, is like that's where innovation is happening right now. Yeah. This, this, uh, this notion of dance is analogous to life, and that the lessons you learn on the dance floor our invitations. You mentioned earlier, you, you know, you, you can you can learn something on the dance floor that you're working on in your life. But what I've noticed is you learn things on the dance floor you didn't you you weren't even working. On. Right. You didn't even know they were there. You know, like I wasn't working on feeling a kind of 
existential terror of letting go of control. I wasn't working on that, but I just found in the difficulty I had in being led, in following, I realized, whoa, there it is. I wasn't even, now I'm paying a little more attention to it. So it can be the other way around, you know, that it's not, it's not even to help you with something you're working on, it's to bring to your attention something you didn't know was there. So what I want to say is that fusion seems to have a much more powerful analogous effect for the rest of life than other other ways of learning dance do. I mean, you know, I think, to be honest, I think that there are teachers that want to teach an art form, right? And then there are teachers that want to teach people. And I think that no matter, for me, when I have the teachers that I value most in my life, no matter what the topic, it's the ones that I get the most from, personally, are the ones that want to teach me rather than teach me about like how to best run an organization mm-hmm. or how to best like dance a form. It's like they're teaching me actually how I can be better, mm-hmm. not how I can better run an organization. And, you know, I think that can be done in most everything. And, um, you know, I could very much run what would be called a fusion class on how to dance fusion. And you would probably, you personally would not enjoy it as much and wouldn't be wanting to you interview me as a result yeah yeah um where instead it's like i want to like teach you know it's like it's very to me personally it's very uninteresting to teach fusion dance right but it's very interesting to teach people how to become the type of person that dances fusion beautifully and (laughs) yeah yeah i've I've reminded of great cinema you know there's a lot of a lot of my favorite films appear to be about a particular story that's not particularly relevant to anybody Mm -hmm. else but it's actually all about, it's all about the one watching. So a really good example of that is Beautiful Mind, which was the story of uh, John Nash, the, the um, Harvard mathematician who um, developed schizophrenia, right? You, have you seen the film? Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, uh, what was the guy's name? Um, the Australian actor who was in it. Um, doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. doesn't matter. Uh, Jennifer Connolly was in it, and I was just doing a mental fart on the guys and he's a very famous actor anyway so there we go um it appears to be about this mathematician with schizophrenia but and so he's making up all these characters in his head that we actually think are real for the first part of the film until we discover they're actually just in his head and he manages to get over this and finally with great humility he goes back to ask to ask somebody that previously was sort of outshone by him as a mathematician who is now the head of department, he goes back to ask for a job from somebody who previously had looked up to him. And so this, um, this, this professor who's heading up the department, he says you know, nervously to John Nash, well, what about your, you know, what about your meaning? What about your, your delusions? And in that moment, John Nash says, oh, he says, they're just my past. Everyone has to come to terms with their past. And <laughs> suddenly in that little throwaway line, the whole film, you just realized the whole film was about you the whole time. It was all about you in your mind and making up shit in your mind and believing it and feeling restrained by it. And, you know, suddenly you realize this film is a whole film's an analogy. Yeah. Uh, but it's done so well that you're able to observe it and think, oh, this is about John Nath, Ma- Nath, Math, the mathematician, until you realize it was just about the relationship we all have to mind, you know, and, and, and coming to accept and, and, and let things be as they are. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot like that in a well-taught fusion that you you go there thinking oh it's friday night i'm going to go learn some dance moves and you end up learning a lot about yourself Mm. but it's totally subtly hidden yeah 
I mean, like all great things, like if you go deep enough, you like come out the other end into topics and places where you had no idea that you were actually diving into. Great things, and great things are like that, but not all things are great things. Right. Yeah. As you're listening to this conversation with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might feel inspired to go deeper into your own expression of radical brilliance. Come join us for a one-week Radical Brilliance Laboratory held in a beautiful rural location in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. During the laboratory, you'll have an opportunity to dive deeply into all four quadrants of the Brilliant Cycle. This means you'll be able to explore experiences of consciousness without boundaries. And you'll be able to start accessing original impulses of creativity from within yourself that can become your unique contribution to the world. You can get in touch with your own learning and integrate mistakes that will allow you to mature and grow. You'll have the chance to deeply mine your own resources as well as connect with other brilliant people in a small, intimate context for a week. You can check out the Radical Brilliance Laboratories at RadicalBrilliance.com under the Events tab. You know, let's just wind up our, our conversation because this podcast is all about radical brilliance, you know, mm. which means it's really, you know, what we're all about as an organization as well as a podcast is supporting uh, young entrepreneurs in particular to really make the maximum contribution to the evolution of humanity. It's, it's recontextualizing um, enterprise and business as a way of moving evolution forward. Um, so imagine a young entrepreneur, maybe in technology or in environmental science, you know, working on a project to help all of humanity. Why would someone uh, inventing things, running a, running a startup business, why would someone in that context, working, for example, in Silicon Valley, be really well advised to think about learning fusion dance? Um, well, the real honest answer is that you probably have no idea right now until you show up and you see what your projects are. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a... Well, well, define um, what you mean by your projects are, because not everyone may understand that coded I mean, language. Yeah, I mean, we all have our own personal things that, like, we need to work on. You know, we have our, like, columns of expertise that we're amazing at, mm. and we also have our column of expertise, whether we know it or not, that are actually really holding us back. Mm. And like everyone that steps into like any conversation, any dance, any class, are, um, you know, if we're aware of and have like teachers and people around us that are good at pointing those out in ways that we're receptive, we might have the opportunity to work on them. Mm. But dance is one to where, you know, as long as, if you're the archetype that sits in front of someone and you're like, oh, well, this, is, this isn't going well because it's your fault, and you go through, you might not learn anything, but all that person has to do is be like, I've been dancing for five years, you're the newbie, you actually don't know what you're doing. And then the lessons come in, or you have to wrestle with the things that are going to like, 
honestly make you work better leading a team or work better on a team or better innovation or um, I don't think that there is a single thing that I have not learned of in my study of dance that I valued nor that I pass on as a teacher that hasn't fully brought in like new worlds of success or feelings of like self-actualization within the rest of my life. I know you've passed through a pretty difficult experience in leading an organization. Mm. You, I know you had a lot of flack and a lot of um, people attacking on social media. How, how did you, and I know that you're also somebody who with your, with the way you're immersed in dance, you're constantly at your own edge. How did you move through all of that in a way that brought you, brought you out on the other side with learning? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the lessons are still coming, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them are, you know, they're all things that I've already known that, like, are my projects that I'm still working on, and I'm just like, oh, well, I obviously have done a lot of work, and I still have a lot to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like everything, like, as we move through hardships in our lives, like, relationship after relationship, or organization after organization, or job after job, like, we're constantly growing, and we're actually learning that, like, the thing that we learned in the last relationship aren't the things that are going to work in this one. Yeah. And like, even though we come with our lessons into certain ones, like as the relationships and the context changes, some of them apply, but some of them, if we try to apply them with like a rigid ideology, as opposed to one of like, um, kind of, I know like you wrote in your book about like how an arrival of what is needed in that moment, right, um, is the moment that we start to fail. And we have to like always return back to the relationship. And the moment that like I see myself personally like being inspired by the ideology or the philosophy or the idea behind, which is super powerful and useful, but when I let that excitement kind of um, overshadow my value of the relationship and or like the care of like that person and how we are together is the minute that like my new tools of ideology and lessons are actually gonna fail me because mm -hmm. they're gonna like distract me from my real brilliance of like how to be with people. I think I, I think I want to make sure I'm really following you here. So let, let me let me kind of say that back to you through a little story I remember and see if, if if we're on the same page. That when I did your class in Arcata, um, you at one point you know you asked everyone to get a partner. And I think I, I think I was leading at that point. So I was leading, somebody was following. And I, you know, I was feeling like, wow, we're doing great. We're cruising around the dance floor and we're doing these moves and we're, you know, whatever that thing is, when somebody lays your hand and they go underneath you, what do you call that? I don't know. It depends. Yeah. Pass by turn. Pass by turn, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're doing all that stuff and I'm thinking, oh, wow, Justin's going to think I'm so great. And you came over and you were kind of laughing and you said, Karajuna, uh, just stop a minute. Just slow down, feel the music, and I, and I was, and then I felt a little embarrassed because I realized what I thought was so great was actually a lot of doing, you know. And then a bit later, I think the next day, you, um, I ended up dancing for a few minutes with you in front of the class, like you wanted somebody to show something to, and uh, and, um, and I felt really clumsy, you know. I felt like I'm really not not following you properly and I just felt like I was completely clumsy and then I remember you saying this is it now it's happening now it's happening now it's happening so I think that's what you're, you, you I think I'm if I understood what you were saying it's like I think I've experienced that when I think I'm doing well in dance it's often when there's a lot of me entered into it mm -hmm. and when I actually feel out of control and uncomfortable and vulnerable 
that's when actually the music takes over and it really happens. And that is such an incredible analogy for life. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, is that what you were saying? In, in yeah, it words? certainly involves that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it certainly involves the like willing to be humble, willing to like, like not be in control. Yeah. Um, and to like, and also at the same time to rather than value what, what you think that partnership on the dance floor or otherwise is supposed to look like valuing what it is mm. and being have that like kind of innate what is best for that moment for that relationship not that this is the best thing because you were taught it and so it's like always having an application of the brilliance we've learned in our past from our teachers and it's all about having the critique and analysis to apply it perfectly in the moment and not that those tools are the things that are always utilized. If you have a hammer, and I gave you a hammer in that class, I'm like, Arjuna, this is a powerful tool. Use it, right? And you're like, a hammer? I never learned how to use a hammer, now I know. And you just start like hitting your dance partners with it. I'm like, no, it was used to like build houses and shelter for houseless people. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's like, you learned how to use a hammer, but you didn't actually think that there was um, the proper application. It's a powerful tool, it can be used for lots of things, both good and bad. And so really what we're wanting is like to be creative at every, like every interaction we have and every new, um, new challenge we arise at, as opposed to being like, oh, I know how to use this hammer and everything becomes a nail. Yeah. I want to finish up our conversation today with a question that I ask a lot of people is, uh, I know you don't currently have children. Can you imagine you might at some point? become a father maybe one day maybe one day yeah so let's imagine that you do and uh, and your children then have children so you become a grandfather one day and that keeps going what would you you know in a quick summary what would you most want for the grandchildren of your grandchildren which means after you've died but nevertheless your actions and your contribution does in a small way affect the world they inherit what would you most want for the grandchildren of your grandchildren who will be alive in approximately a hundred years? You know, the um, permission to know that like they get to be whatever they want to be and that's a value. Mm. Cool. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. So you, your, your hope is that we're evolving into a world where people have more and more permission to be themselves and to be less and less restrained by how people should how they think they should be. Yeah. yeah. That even if they heard something really incredible from their grandfather, mm -hmm. right? My future self, maybe. No, but that, um, would, be your, that would be your grandson. Because okay. the grandchildren of your grandchildren. Well, yeah. some like future archetype of like an elder in their life, that they, um, that whatever that lesson is, that it comes with it, and like the things that you decide to do and who you are is actually what's most important to apply this to. And there's a little bit of a follow-up question for that. So now it's a very clear vision, a beautiful vision. How much do you feel that the way you're living your life day to day is directly contributing to the, to the realization of that vision of the future? You know, and maybe I'm like on, an, like on a good day, 80-20. Which, which way? Uh, 80 yes, 20 no. That's but that's on, on a good day. Catch me on a bad day, we'll flip it. Okay. But... Yeah. but so it sounds like actually you're, you spending your life teaching people dance or creating a space for dance is very much in alignment with the way that you want to see all of us evolve. 
Yeah, I think like and also the the events that I produce as well. Just like the spaces that I'm host to. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully it's also just the dinner parties I throw because I throw really good dinner parties. Looking yeah. forward. <laughs> thanks a lot, man. Yeah, really thanks, Jay, thanks for having me here. Thank you. So that was Justin Riley, one of the original founders of Fusion Dance and one of the greatest dance teachers that I've met on the planet alive today. Great person to hook up with and do a class with. So what would be a good, what would be a good uh, practice? Usually I like to recommend a practice. Obviously the ultimate practice after listening to that podcast would be go find, go, go online and see if there's a Fusion Dance uh, group to attend in your area they are all over the world see if uh, type in fusion dance and see if you can find it in your in, in the area where you live that would be a wonderful commitment to make otherwise you know it's fun to just put on one track of music grab a friend join hands see what it's like to move to music together and you'll quickly discover you're not just learning about dance you're learning about this balance of initiating and flowing with another person. Thanks for listening. I look forward to catching up with you next time.